Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 51st episode of the Ski Podcast, which makes us a low-risk demographic of catching coronavirus. But it doesn't mean we're not immune for it, and I'm sure we'll pop up and talk about it in this episode like a persistent cough. Um, the Ski Podcast is supported by Switzerland Tourism, one of the finest ski destinations in the world. It's got iconic mountains, well-renowned ski areas, as well as magnificent smaller destinations waiting for you to discover them. It's got innovative ideas like this magic pass or easy train travel to resorts. Skiing should be on your list, but for next winter, I'm probably suggesting. Um, or indeed this summer, you know, you can go in the glaciers if you like. Um, Ian Martin, you're just back from Switzerland. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you, Jim, given everything. You know, as someone who works from home the whole time anyway, my self-isolation is going well. Perfect. And um, we're also joined by ski journalist Rob Stewart. Uh, where are you, Rob? I am here yeah, morning, uh, Jim. I'm also at home in Herefordshire at the moment, although I should be right now stepping onto a cat machine in Macedonia for my first morning of cat skiing ever in Macedonia. But of course, I'm not there. I'm uh, in Herefordshire. I'm, I'm sure the, the population's heart goes out to you there, Rob. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm personally, I'm in uh, France in isolation. I'm in my new recording studio. Um, the guys on the screen can see that it's actually a laundry room. I've been kicked out of my office um, <laughs> and I share it with a guinea pig. Um, and, you know, there's probably going to be loads of noises because the children aren't at school. You know, you probably hear an argument or uh, some hoovering or something at any moment. Um, so uh, the quality on this podcast could be low. Right, coming up in today's show, we'll be talking about the pandemic. Rob is here to plug something. Why else would he agree to be on this show? Um, Ian has been skiing in Andermatt. I've been digging holes with Dave Burrows. Um, something has been stolen from Aspen. And Ian will discover if I've read the book for our book club yet. Um, uh, let's start with some good news. Ian, we've won an award or something, haven't we? Uh, well, clearly this is the biggest news uh, of the week. Um, yeah, we have won an award for the best ever podcast. No, we have been included in a list of the, the seven best ski podcasts to listen to. Now, I know we've been including lists before, but you seem to suggest that, that they were kind of created by some um, algorithm, whereas uh, this one has been specifically uh, put together by a website called Rad Season. So there you go. We're one of the seven best uh, winter podcasts uh, uh, ski podcasts around, which surely won't surprise you, listener, to hear that. Well done, us. That's quite all right. Right, shall we? Um, shall we talk about um, the big news? And it's you know it's been quite yeah. a week in the ski industry um, and the world as a whole. But I think we'll spoke, focus on our our small area of what is known as the coronavirus. Ian, mm -hmm. what is going on? <laughs> What is going on? I mean, it's a cliche, isn't it? But these are uh, strange, strange times. I mean, in the last, I think, you know, obviously coronavirus has been around for a while, but what we saw was firstly um, Italy closing Lombardy, which was like Bormio and Lavigno, and that became quite exciting. And then by the next day, Aosta Valley was uh, closed, then the rest of Italy. Then we heard about an outbreak in, uh, in Ischgl by uh, some Norwegian barman. He got the blame for that. They closed all the bars in Ishkul, so that was uh, no good. And pretty shortly after that, Tyrol, Salzburger land, all the Austrian resorts closed. And then I was in Switzerland getting on a train between uh, Arosa and Andermatt. And I heard along the way that um, you know Switzerland were closing their resorts. And then finally, as 
as we know, I think it was, was it seven o'clock on Saturday night that uh, the French resorts, um, you know, were advised to close or told to close? Yeah, pretty much. That's when the news came out. I'd spent the week panic skiing, genuinely had, because I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> so I was right. on the slopes every day going, this might be the last time. Um, Good work. Trying to make the most of it. Um, but um, it was, yeah, it was a really surreal experience. How did, you, how did you find out, Jim, about it? Because it was, you know, on Saturday evening, wasn't it? So how did you hear that, uh, you know, La Calusa, where you live, was actually going to be closed? Well, I've been in quite a few WhatsApp groups with people, you know, um, spinning out their ideas, you know, um, Switzerland and stuff like that. And then uh, I noticed at some point in the day I had quite a sore neck and I thought I didn't stack myself, but I'd just literally been glued to a screen looking down um, right. for days, just strolling and waiting. You know, I probably got the news about five minutes after that they released it. It was pretty much yeah. inevitably coming. Um, there was that little gap between uh, the announcement being made and the ski resorts officially uh, saying that they would be closed. And in that time, I was on also I was on a, a computer, but, you know, I do some work for the Three Valleys and, uh, you know, their Twitter was just going absolutely crazy. People saying, you know, are you going to be open tomorrow? Are you going to be open tomorrow? But, you know, you can't you can't respond as quickly as people don't seem to understand that. You actually need to check with the mairie or the commune before you can make those decisions. Just because they've seen the same speech as everyone else doesn't mean uh, they can say straight away. Where, where were you, Rob? Where was I, what, last week? Uh, on Saturday night when you found out that mm -hmm. French resorts were going to I was here at, at my desk at home. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, if we look back now and look at the situation we're in, where all the ski resorts are closing down, I had a call on Friday night from uh, a Swiss ski resort to say that they were closing down that evening. That was Cromontana, Montana. And um, at the time, that seemed not extreme. understood why, why they were making that decision. And they felt themselves that they were making very much the right decision uh, at the time. And that was on Friday. Obviously, we were unsure about what was happening in the French Alps at that time. We didn't hear about the French Alps until later on, which obviously was the issue. So I had a call from somebody who, who knew me and knew that I worked in the industry and he was taking his family out on Saturday to the French Alps and he was traveling with, a, you know, a, a pretty large tour operator and he was asking for my advice whether he should go or not. That was a very difficult question. I'm sorry, was, was he traveling on Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Right. And yeah, I, you know, he was just asking as a almost just as a personal. So what did he, what did he tell him then, Rob? Well, from you know from the information that I knew at the time, I said, as far as I know, you if you you know he had paid significant money for his ski holiday with his family, and he if he didn't if he decided at that point not to go on his ski holiday, he may very well have risked losing that money, and so. I didn't give him, I couldn't, how could I advise him on what to do with his family in this situation? I mean, so, for sure. So he, he like, well, a, like you know. a lot of people then, he was in that really unfortunate situation mm. of yeah. going out on the Saturday, arriving into resort and finding yes. out straight away that the resort wasn't going to be open uh, the next day. And, my, yes. and obviously, you know, um, bar owners and restaurateurs, etc., you know, basically had, I saw um, Tim Wall from Public Ski Lodge uh, with a video on YouTube saying that basically they had four hours notice 
that they you know had to close right. for the rest of the uh, season which he says is going to cost him half a million euros mm. uh you know he runs several businesses but um you know th thinking about it from an uh, the immediate point of view you know evacuation of those people who'd arrived on the saturday you know out of resort became a, a mm. real issue mm. i believe from what i saw on twitter so did I, you I see any evidence yeah i mean i i know on Saturday, for example, I heard that uh, Snow Express, the coach company, they they literally put on a coach on Saturday night, free of charge to evacuate people from the French Alps to get them back to the UK if they needed to do that. They didn't have any alternative way of getting back to the UK on Saturday night. So that was quite a cool thing. I mean, for me, I heard I saw a lot of criticism of tour operators and the French ski resorts on some social media channels. And I think that's quite harsh. I mean, the, the tour operators were waiting for the government on Thursday night when Macron made his speech. They were waiting for him to give some very clear guidelines on what to do for ski resorts and those sort of installations. And he didn't seem to do that. His speech was vague. And then tour operators were left in the situation and ski resorts, I think, were left in the situation where they, they, they just, I mean, we're in unprecedented territory here. You know, they they couldn't make a call on whether to close a ski resort or not. It was or or, or close down an operation in that situation. It, the government is saying business as usual. You know, what do you do? And yeah, I think I think um, that I agree with you. I saw a lot of very angry people on Twitter who were saying, "Well, why didn't you tell us the day before?" But I think yeah. you're right that resorts. Obviously, <clears throat> they were working. I mean, I was sending out tweets for the Three Valleys the day before saying, based on the information that we have, yes, we're going to be open. But that was on the information. It's evident in retrospect that that announcement would have been better made on Friday than on uh, Saturday. Absolutely. And, and, and Jim, I just wondered, you know, from the point of view of Black Loser, did you have seen the evidence of people, British people stuck there, you know, needing to get out of resort at... Um, you know, short notice. Hey, we don't get a lot of um, uh, British people and there's not a great uh, tour operator focus here. And the guys down uh, the road, um, they've dealt with it really easily. They um, they got their guests out to the airport and it was all quite straightforward. I think the hardest part for a lot of tour operators is, you know, it's been, they've been quite straightforward for them to get out there um, guests and onto airplanes because, you know, it's always been in the back of their minds and it seemed to have worked fairly well. But the bigger problem seems to be is getting staff out of resort because obviously they want them to clean down their chalets. They still mm. want them to, you know, do that shutdown that is uh, an essential yeah. part of it. And then they've got to find a way out. And it's been even harder. They've managed to keep them on because, you know, ski people, they could have stayed in resort maybe if they wanted and have a holiday with, without skiing and stuff. But obviously yeah. the holiday they've gone for. Mm. Whereas the guests, the tour operators go, we can keep the staff, we can get it all shut down, that's cool. And then suddenly yesterday they said you've got until midday um before you're all in self-isolation right yes i saw that um, so you know people have been just literally putting people on minibuses and um, someone's borrowed one of my cars to get home right. um it's been a uh, interesting and also it was it was really interesting how macron literally came on to the internet onto the um to the world um on monday night and all gave us a massive bollocking for not being well behaved and i genuinely think he was right because literally on sunday all everyone did is they went oh the resorts are closed um there were big gatherings people were building kickers hiking up 
um, you know, hanging out and going, you know, it's a sunny day. We're really glum about it. It was a proper yeah, end of season vibe. I, I saw that as well. You know, people just had gone to the supermarket, bought a load of beers and were just uh, hanging out uh, outside. But the point you make about staff, you know, is the in terms of the impact on, you know, tour operators uh, and, you know, I guess everyone who's got a, a restaurant, they would all do the same thing closing down at the end of the season you know I remember when I was resort manager you know you'd give the staff a certain number of days to clean the chalet then you'd go around with the chalet manager and inspect them and make sure that they were adequately sufficiently you know clean etc and then once that was done then they could uh, you know have a few days to chill out before it was time to go home and yeah the guys who work in our chalet literally went we're off to Australia right now I said all right I'll give you a lift to the airport um what can you do what about the so i think everyone's back now i saw a few tweets from well they have to be back uh what what do you think about the, the impact will be on the kind of british side of the ski industry and the ski industry in general over the short term you know oh, because we've, it's got to be huge hasn't it like we we just run one chalet and we um had a load of bookings for april um airbnb decided to cancel them within um, fifth, one, within an hour of the announcement and we lost a huge wedge of future income. And this is just me. Um, there are companies that have clearly lost a month's worth of bookings. And, you know, it's probably the period where everyone's starting to have paid the, paid the bills and then this is the profit period for many, many companies. I think there's going to be an interesting difficult time for lots of these companies we don't know what the individual finances are it's hard to call rob what do you think yeah uh you know it, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks i think tour operators well, obviously every single tour operator if you're talking about tour operators are in different financial positions right now uh as companies and as businesses and they're all looking at this right now to think and some of them some of them are in i think some of them are in serious trouble over this i mean there's obviously there's also been some talk and some news around refunds for customers and i know some tour operators that have just literally said right we're refunding everybody i know some tour operators have done that we're refunding everybody whether they were out this week and they had to turn around again within 24 hours or whatever it was they're refunding everything um, I know other tour operators that are not doing that right now and and they're maybe giving vouchers for next season, uh, whether they're out this week or or they're out in the following weeks. And I think we'll see how that plays out. I think if people are happy to say, look, you know, we'd, we'll support you and we'll come back next winter and we're happy with a voucher, that's fine. I think that there are some people out there that maybe aren't that happy with that. So we'll see. How that works, and I think tour, but, but tour operators, it's it's tough for them. I mean, they they haven't, you know, it's not, it's something out of their control, and they found themselves in a in a position where, as you said, Jim, just now, you know, this is the time of the year where they've probably just about paid everything, and and now anything else that that maybe comes after this is is money that they can they can use for other things, or maybe they haven't even got to that point yet. You know, it, it's it's yeah. You know, it's it's a tough, tough situation for them, and 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 I don't know. I mean, I, again, the government yesterday was a little bit vague on the, on the packages that they're going to offer the travel industry. Yeah, I, you know, you're you're very right uh, about that. I think the margins are so low for tour operators anyway. I actually looked. Um, well, I've worked for a couple. 
But I looked at the accounts of a couple as well. And, you know, the profit that they're making on their turnover can be one, two, three percent. And when you say you take away maybe, let's call it, you know, 20, 25 percent of their uh, revenue from the season. You know, the, if you're a, a chalet company, you're guaranteed uh, uh, beds. The chalets that you rent are your biggest cost. And they're not going to get a refund uh, on that. You know, the staff are under contract. So the point you're making about whether companies give a full refund or tell uh, their customers that they need to claim on insurance is a key one. Because if they claim on the insurance, it's the insurance companies who are going to lose out. But the tour operator can survive. Mm. Uh, you know, you might argue that we have, if you, if you listener or someone who's booked a holiday and you get the choice of having a refund or maybe carrying it over to next year, your booking, you can do more to support the industry by carrying over your booking. I mean, my wife and I'm actually discussing this just now because we, we had a, a holiday to outdoors coming up. I think, you know, we put down something like 1700 pounds on the apartment and, uh, you know, other bits and pieces. Mm. Now, They've already said to us, look, you can carry that over to next year. But on the other hand, that's quite a lot of money. And yeah, like Jim right and like other people, I have no idea if my current clients are going to keep me engaged. It's too early to say yet, but I'm in, you know, of course. You know, if if listener, you are one of my clients, <laughs> obviously <laughs> you're gonna keep employing me. But you know, if I, I run a, a whole load of Google Ads campaigns, which on Saturday night, you know, I pause. Uh, in the vast majority of cases because they got nothing to sell now you know mm. if i run their account and uh, you know they're not there's nothing going on why would they continue to employ me and then we're also in the same situation as jim where you do airbnb here in the uk and google are offering people 100 percent cancellation so we're missing out on all that money as well so you know i'm in this situation like you may be listener as well where you're concerned about your cash flow should you claim back your uh, holiday or should you try and claim on insurance it's it's definitely going to be problematic we need the government to give us guidelines on this and i think that there has been some criticism there has been some comments suggesting that, that the government needs to give guidelines so that people can go and claim on insurance but i can also understand that if that if that did happen on the widespread scale that it could potentially happen on that it would collapse the insurance industry and the banking industry and we would we would then be in also it, that wouldn't work so the government are the only solution here you know the only solution is for the government to step in and be very clear about how they can support companies and then if they can't support companies then we will have we will see you know well we will we will see companies fail for um, sure i, I think another uh, factor to consider is the cash flow situation which you normally find with ski companies that uh you know as the ski season comes to an end obviously their their cash flow goes down significantly in the period you know may uh, onwards now they still keep their permanent staff going on and you know they survive they get deposits for early bookings uh, etc without that period of income coming in through march and uh, april that's where the challenge uh, will come and you know it's, it may be easier for larger companies to, to survive because they can downsize but if you're a small or medium-sized business who has let's say you know five six ten staff then that is a really really difficult decision to make mm -hmm. as to how you're going to kind of get through 
that period? I think, you know, if we were facing this challenge in October, for example, I think we'd be we'd be really up against, I mean, we are really up against it, but I think, you know, that would be absolutely devastating. We are on the tail end of the season. That's one, if you like, one chink of light that we can take from this. The, the big question now is how long this will last. If, if this lasts six weeks and we're out of the woods and we can go traveling again and we can maybe get out to the Alps in the summer and we, we are clear about the fact that next winter is going to be fine, then I think we can we can get through this relatively unscathed. Relatively, you know, we'll learn lessons. We'll we'll have to batten down the hatches. We'll have to, you know, be more efficient and more effective. Everyone's going to need to do that. But we can get through it. We can survive. The, the the uncertainty. Let's say we are six to eight weeks down the line, and we still don't know how long this is going to last for. I think then panic is going to you know is going to set in and i think that we're going to be wondering how on earth we're going to go forward that, i think the key point. thing has got to be that um from us the message really needs to be is consumers need to help the industry that they like you know if they're with a small tour operator book early right book sure. now for next year help them with that cash flow if you want to move your booking, offer to move your booking, but be careful that that still has huge financial implications because this means that they've got the money, but it goes into next year, which is a holiday they cannot sell. So be careful of that. If you can afford it, maybe think about splitting your um, booking um, cost um, uh, and say, look, you know, I know this is a completely thing, but have half the booking, refund me half if that's what you want to do. Really think about it. Like for me, myself, the only thing I can really do that will support anybody in terms of this financially is, you know, I'm not going to go and claim my season pass back that I didn't fully use. I'm going to, you know, I know that's a really small thing, but if everyone didn't do that, then that's that the lift up companies still have that money and they're not going to be forced to refund it. So just really think about the choices you're going to make. There's no point in kicking off about it when it's actually going to impact you personally as well. And, you know, yeah. Tour operators in a really tricky situation. Should they refund um, and face absolute hatred from their clients, or do they face going into complete um, financial pits by giving the refund and giving into peer pressure? So just be really careful, consumer, what your decision is because it has a big impact. And you know, it's not time to hate corporates now. It's time to actually support them because they do employ people in the Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, you know that that's. Excellent advice. I think that's a great way of summing it up on the on the coronavirus thing. And I would like to, as we've still got Rob on the line, I know he has to move uh, on. Just ask you about something else because amongst all of this, and is this the is this the exciting news that actually coronavirus has sorted out yeah. um, one problem and it's resolved ski flight freeze campaign to stop flying <laughs> to the Alps. Funnily enough, I, uh, you know, it has occurred to me that, uh, you know, emissions have gone down because of that. But it's not the reason that you uh, you want it to happen. What I was going to refer to is amid all of the ski resorts uh, closing, we also had the news that the uh, Telegraph Ski and Snowboard Show Festival, whatever you want to call it, has been cancelled. Uh, and that's not to do with coronavirus because they decided that they're going to stop publishing the Telegraph Ski and Snowboard magazine and um, not continue with that uh, show uh, as well. Is there anyone going to step into the vacuum, Ian? Well, funnily enough, this was um, 
the power vacuum has been created. Positive news. The first bit of positive news in all of that was that Rob, who's on today, uh, well, do you want to tell us about it, Rob? What, what's the yeah, story? Well, you know, of course I do. I think, you know, first of all, it was like like myself, you know, to hear the news about the, tele, the Telegraph Ski and Snowboard Festival being cancelled was, you know, was sad. Uh, it's an event in whatever guise uh, it's been running for for many many years been an event that I've been going to for you know I don't know 30 years or something or more and uh, every year and it's it, you know it was sad to hear that go and I think the Telegraph did a fantastic job with uh, with what they were doing in Battersea it was a great show it's great fun uh, and the magazine it's very sad to see that go as well uh, of course and I, you know and I'm friends with with the guys that, that work there so so that's that that aside um, we got our heads together and said we need to do something we want to do something for the industry you know we've got such a fantastic industry and at that time of year people want to get together not just i mean industry people want to get together consumers want to know what's going on consumers want to go and buy things they still want to do that and you know we know the snow center at hemel really well and we know the the uh, facility and what they can offer uh, and what a great place that is, and it just it just made sense to do something. So do you want to actually explain what, what what's going on then? Because yeah, we, okay. Jim and I happen to know, but uh, <laughs> the listener probably doesn't. Yeah, that's it. We got sent the press release, so we've read that. <laughs> okay, so we're going to have a a show at the Snow Centre um, in the early to mid autumn period, uh, towards the end of September, we I just you know, the date is yet to be completely confirmed, but it's going to be around that time. Are you going to call and, it the ski and snowboard festival? <laughs> no, we're not. Um, we, you know, it's a ski show and it's a ski event. And um, the name is yet to be 100% confirmed. But let's just let's just call it the ski show right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, a, as a working title, as, as you like, um, and right. we will go out to the to the consumer very soon with this. I'm doing this now, obviously now with you and talking about it. Um, so, sorry, Rob, are you telling us this is an exclusive to the ski podcast? <laughs> well, I, as, as Jim pointed out, I have put a, I have put a release out, a, a, a press release, but actually, uh, as yet, the podcast you've been on, right? I, I, I <laughs> could say this is a bit of an exclusive. Yes, it is a bit of an exclusive as a media yeah. organization. Yeah. So, it is an exclusive. Yeah. Let's just get that. Throw that, in there. throw that in there. So, you know, we're really, I mean, we, the, the reaction we had when we put that out, that release, if you like, out to uh, some of the industry was really positive. Of course, we had a couple of people saying, really, are you sure? Right in, in this time, are you actually seriously thinking about starting a show? Not many, but a couple of people said that, which is fair enough. Um, but of course, you know, working with a venue like Snow Center Hemel, I mean, they, they have the infrastructure set up in place there. You know, everything is there, but what we want to do and what we are creating is an event. You know, this is not going to be just turn up at the snow centre and you have uh, whatever goes on normally at the snow centre uh, over the weekend. You know, we, we're going to create a whole extra package of yeah. I think that um, obviously, uh, you know, you can see the limitations of the snow centre in terms of perhaps the uh, amount of uh, area, but, uh, you know, you've got that whole car park, flat car park area outside where I believe you're thinking about putting up a marquee or something and you'll have lots of stands in there. But where the ski show has always struggled is 
actually having a slope. You know, they try and invest all this stuff to try and they build a kicker and all this stuff. But you're going to have a hundred, is that 120 meter slope there? I'm not really too sure how long it is. 120 meters, right? Yeah. right yeah. So, the, I mean, the key things, the key things are, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. The slope's there, obviously. And, and, and we will have, you know, freestyle uh, park, freestyle skiers using that slope and doing demos. We will have access to the slope. And, and these details are yet to be completely uh, put together. But, you know, we're going to have sessions where people can go and try skiing. For the first time, we're going to have sessions where people can go and test equipment, that kind of thing. But the key thing for us is that we want to make this really accessible for the consumer. You know, it's not going to be a high a price point entry to go into this event. You know, it needs to, it, people need to turn up and feel that they're getting really good value for money. They're going to have a fun day. And also for the industry, for the exhibitors, we want to make sure that this event is also very uh, accessible in terms of the financial side of things. It's, you know, we, we, we have a we, we have to make sure that, that that especially in this climate, that this is a show that people can say, you know what, we we can actually we can do this. We can do this. It's a, it's a beginning of the season or just before the beginning of the season kicks off. It's a great time of year. We you know we've had a tough few months. And we yeah. need to start this winter again and this is a perfect perfect place to do it it's not going to you know we're not putting it's not going to be a huge risk for us it's not you know if you imagine putting a show together like the telegraph did a fantastic show that it was at Battersea Park I, I mean that so just, just just to put your foot in the door there just to just to put you know just to have that space is you're already you're already talking you know serious cash um you know we have we have a facility that that is is up operating it is, is running and um you know wants to work with the industry and wants to be positive about yeah the and it's already got a snow and rock <laughs> yeah they have a retailer there snow and rock um obviously they have a, a big snow and rock store there and that doesn't, mean, store. that doesn't mean uh, that other retailers can't get involved in the show obviously uh, not in some way but uh but yeah there's a snow and rock there sure which is great. Right. Um, how about uh, a festival of skiing and snowboarding? I've written down as a potential name for you, Rob. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Yeah, I think that's a nice tagline. That's a nice tagline. And um, you know, when I say the ski show, I'm using ski as a generic term that I think absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've had this before <laughs> with people, and and you know, we must. You're absolutely right to point out that snowboarding is is you know is part of, of what we do and part of our industry and uh, and it's uh yeah we're skiing snowboarding let's let's keep snowboarding in there for sure <laughs> I was what, to get about that. what do you think jim would you you know what do you think about the idea of a you know a new show based up at hemel hempstead which is what rob's uh, talking about seems to make sense you know you've got to fill a vacuum and if people want to go to it they want to go to it i think it makes sense to downscale and be more realistic about um, target audience as well because you know they used to say that they got x amount to the door you know hundreds and thousands of those are given away free and stuff like that so you know to scale down and be realistic is a great opportunity and you know it might start making skiing more a community again when people go there in that smaller way that they once used to do to hang out and um decorporatize it i think is a is a great opportunity to do all those things i think i think that's yeah i like that jim i think you know we have to be we're not trying to compare this to what happens what happened in uh at Batsy park or olympia or or else 
uh, right now. You know, we're going to create an event that hopefully people walk away from and go, you know what, that was a brilliant day. We had a lot of fun. We met some friends. We saw we saw the brands. We we we, we saw holiday companies, resorts, whatever. And you know, it 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 it, it was fun. And the exhibitors walk away saying, you know what, that that worked really well for us. That's all we need. You know, that's what we that's what we want. You know, we, and we can't pretend that it's gonna it's it's we're gonna take take over the the world right now. You know, with uh, with with with, a, with a, an event that you know that that's um, that's maybe on the scale uh, of of what was before. But you know, that doesn't really matter. I think people want to go to something. People want to see. You know what's happening for the new winter season they want to see the new equipment they want to have a good time and, and i away. and i think as well rob you know there's there's going to be a certain degree of kind of pent-up demand after the premature end to this season mm. a lot of people won't have even been able to take uh, their ski holiday you know this winter if they were going out in uh, in easter time and i think that people you know will be will be fired up for it and you know i'm really trying to work on this um in terms of social bringing together you know the community of skiers to focus on the positive side of things and this is a positive story so so well done to you and we we look forward to uh to going along at the end of september to uh, the snow center in hemel Hempstead for the what was the name of it again jim uh the festival of ski and snowboarders i've got here Right, the festival of skiing and snowboarding. Look at Rob's face. He's like, I'm not using that. That is awful. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, that's legally that's, not allowed to use it anyway. That's great, Rob. Thanks for coming in to give us um, all of your thoughts go, Rob, about coronavirus. And before the we show. Let, before we let get Rob go, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, were you in Club Med um, in December in Val Torrent? No. All oh, right, few. Because for some reason I thought I saw you there and I didn't say hello because I wasn't sure if it was you. In December. Like right at the beginning of the season. I was, I'll tell you where I was in December. I was at the UCPA Centre in Keene. Uh, Right at the beginning of December, actually it was possibly even right at the end of November, stroke the beginning of December, I was in the UCPA Centre in Keene for a couple of nights. I then stayed in a little hotel in Keene for a couple of nights. Beginning of this winter, what a world away we had. Yeah, it was right. Powder, knee, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. We had knee deep, light, fluffy powder snow for three days and the sun came out. Back full of optimism. What a start to the winter that was. Yeah, now, now you're making all those people, the listener who's listening right now, who was going to go out for their April ski holiday feeling even worse no, than they already no, are. I'm making, I'm making the listener excited to think that, you know what, at the beginning of December yeah. 2020, we're going to be ripping it up in the powder cool. and we're going to be, we're going to be having a great time. Yeah, more right, story well, early. Thanks. Thanks for uh, your, your time, uh, Rob. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Bye, bye Rob. Bye. Right. See you later. You. Bye. Bye. Right. right in um uh, on with the rest of the show what have we got um, well we, we uh, i think before. obviously we've been to switzerland yeah. oh switzerland okay yeah i mean i can tell you about that i was i think i mentioned it earlier i Talk went to speed. yeah i went to um arosa and andermatt i went out on wednesday of last week i managed to ski one day in arosa which um was brilliant i went out with a guide fantastic uh area uh, there 
took me onto some off-piste and most of it was kind of milty spring snow type of stuff but there were little patches of powder around and then on the Friday I took the train over from uh, Arosa to Andermatt and you mentioned it before about Switzerland in the intro I mean traveling by train in Switzerland is such a joy I had a Swiss uh, travel pass and the trains are just so good they leave bang on time you know, amazing views. That Arosa to Andermatt is part of the uh, Glacier Express route from Samaritz to Zerma. And it passes over and through some amazing uh, passes. But during the middle of that journey, I discovered that uh, Switzerland were closing their ski resorts. Uh, and so by the time I got to Andermatt, you know, there were no lifts open the next day. But we had a guide booked and he took us ski touring. And... Uh, then the next day we just went ski touring uh, as well. And I believe in France now, you've been told not to go ski touring. Is that right? The government are cracked down on that as well. I think they're telling everyone. I know definitely Italy is. And I don't think there's actually a ban on it because you're allowed to go and do um, activity as long as you're on your own. Um, but I think they're really trying to stress that there's no one around to help you. Like yeah. all, this, uh, all the resources are being re-diverted. If you get in trouble, not only are you causing more problems at a and e departments which are clearly suffering from problems also you know you, you you could struggle to find someone to rescue you it's not they don't want you to they're just you know good yeah luck. it uh, seems such a shame i don't know if you've looked at the, uh, you, the broke, web. you broke the rules ian well interesting i mean there were hundreds of us ski touring oh, yeah. uh, in andamat uh you know people all over the place because the train system was still working so, you know, Andermatt is 1,400 metres. You could get the train up to um, Oberalp Pass, which is two stops on, which is 2,050 metres. And then we skinned up from there to uh, 2,750 metre. Uh, we did that with the guide and skied off piece. The next day, we didn't have the guide. So we just went up the piece, um, you know, risk-free, so to speak. And in fact, there's a restaurant at the top of... Um, Gooch, I think it's called at 2300, which is um, owned by the Chedi Five Star Hotel in Andamat. And it's one of these really posh Japanese uh, restaurants. And obviously it was all closed, but the terrace was completely full of ski tourers eating their sandwiches. So that, that will be a one off, you know, normally apparently it costs 150 chuffs for uh, lunch there. And then there's everyone, the people with their flasks of tea and this and that. Uh, you know, like like us, probably grab loads of food off the uh, the hotel breakfast. I felt like I was, you know, a kid again at breakfast. We were just uh, like grabbing the extra rolls and uh, and cheese and ham and that to make our sandwiches to go up on the hill for the day. Well, sounds like a good experience. Um, are we going to hear more about this um, uh, expedition? Yeah, I think and next week we'll probably have a bigger uh, chat about Andamat because it's a very interesting resort and a lot of things are changing there. Brilliant stuff. Well, um, we are quite pushed for time. What should we do next, Ian? Well, I think the avalanche feature is a good thing because in, a, in an environment where people feel like the world is collapsing on top of them, learning a little bit more about avalanches from friend of the pod, uh, Dave, I believe, could be could be quite useful. All right, then. Well, here it is. This is me in a hole with Dave. So what we're doing here, Jim, is we're digging a snow pit. And the reason that we're digging a snow pit is um, what we're going to try and do here is get a, an idea of what the snow looks like when it falls and compacts over time. And what this does is it gives us an idea, it gives clients and people a really good idea 
of what happens to the snow as it falls and starts to bond. One of the biggest issues being off-piste is that occasionally there are weak layers in the snowpack. So you could be skiing over something that's sort of been there for weeks, you know, a weak layer that's in the snowpack. And then the pressure of you, so the, the, the pressure of a skier skiing over something, goes down about a metre at most if you're kind of raising down a bit of off-piste. And what that means is if you, if you trigger a weak layer in the snowpack, that's when you start to see all of that stuff where the where the you know the whole snowpack, you know, the face cracks and the whole thing just slides down. So we sort of see by digging the snow pit, you can see where the weak layers are and you can sort of do an analysis of what the snow's been like recently. Do we dig to the ground? Well if we can. If okay. we can't, we can't. Am I digging alright? Because yeah. um, I don't want to feel like, you know, when you go to the beach with your kids, yeah. and you're trying to make an uber construction. No, no, I'm not trying. The thing about digging, it's all about speed. So in, your, in the event that we, when we go and do transceivers and stuff later, it's all about... Speed digging. Get as much snow as quick as possible, because there's only a limited amount of air if someone's buried. You know? Now, there's loads of snow in here. This is deeper than we thought. Yeah. Now, the next question I've got yeah. is, when do I dig one of these? We're doing this as an Mike, exercise. I'm not going to do this every time I go. No, you wouldn't. But. Okay, so Jim's now going to take his finger and he's going to very sort of tap the snowpack. So you tell me where you feel different, different densities of snow. It's really getting harder and harder. Yeah. Which is what I would expect, right? Well, maybe, but you wait till you get there. Ooh. Yeah. That's quite, um, yeah. I can get my finger right in there. Yeah. Now that's right at the bottom, right? It's almost, what, two meters down? Three at least. Yeah. I'd say, so, I'd say a meter. Yeah. Now we won't, you know, we could keep digging. But what happens is, at the bottom of the snow, where the snow meets the ground, underneath here is rocks and grass and stuff like that, uh -huh. that temperature remains pretty much at zero. So you have what's known as a temperature gradient going through the snowpack. So this is staying... So that stays down there. It stays cold. Uh, Warmish. Yeah. Up here, where it's more exposed... Here, sorry, in the middle, where it's kind of insulated, stays cold. And up here, it's getting quite hot because of the solar radiation on it, right? The sun is on it. Sure. Now, what you want to do now is go right back down to the bottom of your hole, scoop out a handful of snow from the bottom... That soft snow, that horrible stuff at the bottom. Yep. All right, and have a look at it. And what you should see is a sort of, it's almost like balls, little cups. Yeah, I balls. mean, why do I rub it between my fingers before it melts? It's yeah. got a grainy texture. Yeah, that's right. And then it melts away. Yeah. And that's called uh, surface hoar. And what that means is as... as uh, so, so that sits under the snowpack, and as the time goes on, you see these kind of full-depth avalanches that come down you know, later on in the season. There's yeah. no real weak layers in here, is there? Um, I'm surprised. I, I think it's probably because I've just seen sensationalised pictures where you can see really clear layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here we've had lots of time in between snowfalls for the snow to, to bond together mm -hmm. and settle. And this is one of the biggest issues with people going off-piste in the modern era. There's so much media and so much stuff that the old mountain saying used to be, give the mountain a day before you go and attack all the off-piste. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. As soon as it's snowing, people just like are ripping all the lines. That's why people are getting more and more killed in avalanches because 
they're not allowing the snow to settle you know they're also taking kind of yeah there's other factors to do with that but but it's one of them these people just aren't waiting anymore for the snow to do its thing to bond together um but here this is a pretty snow stable snowpack it's probably one of the best ones i've seen actually no issues of kind of skiing down here for sure good because it's a long way down yeah <laughs> sure is we're in a pretty extreme location yeah yeah next to the ice climbers <laughs> yeah they look cool don't they? They do, don't they? yeah interesting you know to learn the different layers um of a um snow base and um, that's kind of a crucial thing to understanding how avalanches come and where they come from by uh, digging a hole and learning the snowpack but you'll be able to hear more about that because i'm gonna put together a whole big episode in the next three weeks um and you'll be able to know everything you need to know about um spotting avalanches being in an avalanche using your transceiver um and uh all those sorts of things That's i think exciting. we're gonna include as well the uh interview that we uh did with caroline elliott who is uh uh has a search and rescue dog or had a search and rescue dog for fjord she talks about how it's trained and uh also um actually there was a story where fjord discovered uh you know a girl who was trapped in a avalanche i'm gonna drop that in there as well um yes i am in yeah cool i'm i think that will be really really uh valuable you know one-off special that lots of information in there about about avalanches and people can just listen to it anytime you could listen to it as you're touring up, um, preparing yourselves uh, for the amazing off-piste. Yeah, perhaps beforehand <laughs> you might be more useful. Hey, there's no better time to use an avalanche, learn how to use an avalanche beacon than right when you need it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably covered in the uh, in the special, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, right, we've got more exciting stuff. Um, Ian's been talking to... Um, Will you tell them in? Because I've written it down wrong and it's not right. I've written that you... Is it Jason you're talking to or is Jason the thief? Right. I, you know what? I think we should probably save that one for another All episode. Right, we'll, keep, we'll keep the uh, listener in suspense because that is a really amazing story. Uh, and I think it deserves to, um, to, to be covered in more, uh, in more detail, really. So um, I think, you know, we have, we have another review, don't we? Yeah, we've got a review here. Um, I'll read that out. It's from Pat McInnes, um, and it says, I listen to lots of podcasts about hobbies and interests. I feel like everyone should have a different voice when, they, when I read it out, but I'm not an impressionist. Um, I listen to lots of podcasts about hobbies and interests, and this one stood out nicely because it's laid-back style that helps pass the time while commuting to work. Jim and Ian and the guest contributors all come across well with the right balance of British humour, banter and insight into their respective areas of strength i'm not particularly sure what mine is but i'm glad i have some insight um this is not and then it goes on to say this is not a deep knowledge podcast you know um instead it's a general overview of all aspects of skiing and snowboarding that gives you a fairly detailed bite-sized chunks of info that can spur you on to go and do your own research about a range of subjects um he's only found it recently or she's only found it recently um uh, as they gear up for their easter trip oh, sorry about that um yeah. But, you know, follow our advice. Um, currently working through the archive of the show, but that's a testament to the good content, even when it's out of date. And that's something we purposefully do. We talked about it a long time ago, um, which is why you should listen from tw episode 12 onwards, because that's when we started doing that. Um, you know what, Jim? I think that's a little harsh, because I, I listened to one of our old episodes recently. Um, I couldn't exactly tell you 
why and i noticed on the intro where you talk about switzerland tourism you know sponsoring the show you say i'll start from episode so onwards you know i'm not going to agree with you there i think some of those older episodes have got some really good content in and you know i think the listener just needs to bear in mind that the production quality maybe isn't you know the best sometimes well speaking of production quality um pat does have an issue with the way i edit it he says it needs to be a bit slicker um and the overlaps are a bit blunt and jarring i mean it's it's the style i've chosen to edit it in uh, um, uh, i can leave figure pauses if you like <laughs> and it says, otherwise he says it's a really good you guys have found some uh found the our other media outlets such as my average ski which i've not really updated um recently i've been too absorbed in actually skiing and ian's skipedia stuff so he looks out towards um, any future content that we do, which is a good point to raise right now, Ian, because as the ski industry um, is tanking, if you want to employ either of us, we're excellent content creators. <laughs> um, email Jim at the Ski Podcast or Ian at the Ski Podcast, um, and you know maybe we can sort something out for you. Um, that's the review. What's next? Um, book well, review. more reviews. Have you oh, seen that we, that, no, that we have a competition Oh, yeah, uh, did running. Like a review. Well, no, it's about reviews, though, isn't it? You know, what we're saying is, listener, give us a review on iTunes because it helps people find us. But to give you an extra incentive, if you have a look at our Facebook page or our uh, Twitter, which are both, um, you know, the ski podcast, just find us like that. You can see a massive uh, pile of goodies that we're going to give away. Have you seen this, Jim? I'm just searching it now. Ian. I have no idea what you're about. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. I, I told you I was going to do it. I mean, basically, I, you know, I end up going to lots of kind of ski industry events and press trips and this and that. And they always, you know, they give you uh, like a little freebie. And I thought, well, let's share the love. And uh, there's a big list of freebies. I estimated that it's worth about £150. Um, but I might be underestimating that because um, I don't know how much, uh, you know, uh, with you, is that, a, is that a clean tape measure? No, it's a ski strap for wrapping around oh, the skis. Cool. I, have you to mean? Say, I got one of those um, lunch packs from um, Anza. They're really good. Ah, so so Jim there is referring, listener, to a lunchbox which has a little uh, knife and fork on it. That one's from Outdoors. They're really good, are they? Yeah. Only beanie hat that keeps my hair warm. Yeah. Well, we got three beanies in there. Um, some some kind of gloves, a buff. Headband from Layman Weir, which is um, being very nice. Some sunnies, uh, like a bag, an ice scraper, a notebook, uh, a ski zip. Don't exactly know what it is, but it's a brand called Ski Zip. I mean, I guess you, it's one of those things that you love, Jim, for carrying your skis around, I should think. Yep, sounds like um, really good. Can I have that if no one wins? please well hopefully someone will win because all you have to do listeners give us a review on itunes uh before the 17th of april you know it doesn't have to be a good review five star reviews are always welcome but just give us a review and then we'll pick a, a winner at random and we will get in contact with you and send you out um all of these goodies so um if you ever had a and, and you're allowed to give us a if you've already given us a review before you can give us another Oh, good. Because um, I've already given us a review. Um, I did. Actually, I was showing the kids uh, earlier. I was reading them out some of the, well, I read them that bad review we got where they called us, you know, boring and middle-aged or something like that. Yeah. 
and just to make sure the kids knew that there were some people who like it you know the vast majority of reviews are all really uh, positive so you know you you say what you think listener but put a review on there and you could win all that stuff so you're not even in imposed isolation and you're already doing stuff like that my goodness <laughs> like i thought that would be i thought reading my reviews to kids was going to be at least week four <laughs> um right well um uh big reveal ian drum roll please yes, go on, then. Um, i haven't read the book yet i'm halfway well, through it oh, and okay, like you say in this uh, we're going to listen to the clip now yeah 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 it could be the longest that. episode ever um uh in the clip now you do say uh, well let's listen to the clip first shall we um, um i'm back with uh mark frary author of uh aiming high the um a biography of uh, uh, Ernalo, uh, eponymous founder of the uh, ski company. And, you know, I, I really enjoy this book way more than I was expecting to. I don't really know what I was expecting, but um, what I didn't realise was it was going to be such a kind of deep dive into the uh, the history of the, of the ski industry, because she was uh, such a pioneer. I mean, you mentioned in our other interview, I think it was 1932, she placed her first ad, um, you know, offering um, or looking for people to go on a, on a ski holiday. But, um, you know, those early days, the the picture you paint of those early days of her holidays are amazing. They're so far removed from what you see on the slopes or, or for a holiday today. That's right. I mean, you know, you, it's, it's almost difficult to think about what it must have been like to go on a ski holiday. I know, you know, you go on a ski holiday today and it can be quite challenging, particularly if you have a family with you, you know, like lugging all the equipment around and, you know, getting from place to place. But if you think back to then, you know, it, it was so much more difficult then. And if you wanted to go skiing, you really had to want to go skiing. So, you know, th those days, um, you know, you had to go by, by train usually because, um, you know, we didn't have um, mass air transport as we do today and and then when you actually got to, to the resorts themselves I mean there were generally no lifts at all so one, actually one of the that, things I that found really out, that yeah. really struck me I mean that, uh, <laughs> like you say I had to go by train you got to ship in you know I love traveling by train that's great but effectively, they were all ski touring holidays, weren't they? I mean, yeah. they had to walk up the mountain. Yeah, or, or take a mule with their with their gear up with them. And, you know, sometimes they'd be, you know, going up in, in a pair of skins, um, you, you know, for hours just to get one run down because they couldn't um, get up any other way. And, you know, I was, I was going to say as well, I mean, this is what I found interesting about, you know, the research in the project is about, you know, finding out a lot of how the ski industry came about. And one of the things that I was really fascinated by was, um, you know, how after the Second World War, you know, in places like Austria, there was the uh, the Marshall Plan, you know, which was the US funded um, program to rebuild Europe. And uh, many Austrian villages um used money from that marshall plan to install yeah. ski lifts yeah you know, which is incredible that. That really interesting it's yeah. incredible and and also you know following that you know the french soldiers who'd been out there in in germany and austria um who then went back home after the end of the war they said actually that, that was a really good idea with with the ski lifts we'll do that and so that's that really is what helps um give birth to the french yeah, I, I, well. I, I i found i actually folded that page over page 96 talking <laughs> about you know cable cars that were you know were built with money from the european recovery program so um you know fascinating to see how they uh, uh had an impact and, and, you know, we were talking about how things were so different. I mean, you just, the concept is completely different. Like that. I love the fact that um, 
you know, there'd be a price for the holiday, but there are lots of extras. Like if you wanted to have a, every time you wanted to have a bath, you had to pay extra money. (laughs) I think, you know, a lot of this as well, you have to realize that, um, you know, there were currency restrictions on various things, um, uh, you know, at various points after the war. So, so they had to sort of be very um, constructive with um, ways to sort of get around the the regulations. So, you know, that you would have all of these supplements like we do today when you fly on Ryanair or whatever. But, um, you know, you could only spend a certain amount on your holiday itself. But the the extras, if you could find the money, then, you know, you could pay those extras when you got there. So it wouldn't seem as though you were breaking your your allowed amount for the year. Right, because there was another bit I'm trying to see where I found it. You had to pay for cakes and things like that (laughs) as well. But definitely... Definitely for baths, and there was some, I can't remember where it was now, some letter from someone complaining about uh, uh, the fact that they had to pay for their bars. They thought it was out of order. (laughs) I think, you know, the world has gone full circle, hasn't it? You know, so... uh, (laughs) Well, for sure, And And interesting as well that you said, um, you know, when when Ernelo was first doing holidays, you know, Austria was the number one uh, country. And uh, in the book, at one point, it says that in 1970, there were only two uh, companies that featured or offered French ski resorts. That's incredible uh, we, now when you think about yes, it, isn't it? Exactly. You, know, we're, we're, you know, Austria w- was dominant in the way that France is today. You know, everyone goes to Three Valleys. And, um, yeah. you know, but Erna the, herself was, was quite instrumental in bringing those French resorts to the British public. Yeah, so um, she, you know, in the 60s, she was um, really there sort of thinking, you know, how can I bring these new resorts on places like like Flen, for example, which her company is very sort of closely associated with and, and La Plan, you know, these purpose-built resorts that sprung up around that time. And she recognized that, you know, that they would be a, a, a product that British skiers would, would really like and uh, made it a lot easier for, for people going on holidays, you know, because of that sort of ski in, ski out. Thing. And so she developed the, some of those early relationships, becoming uh, representatives for those resorts in the, in the UK market and um, really sort of got us into the habit of, of going to France. I mean, uh, others did as well, but um, she was right there and recognized what an opportunity that was. And, um, you know, obviously that was to the detriment of her, her native Austria. But, um, you know, she really did introduce uh, Britons to French skiing. Yeah, um, well, uh, uh, thank you to uh, to Erlo uh, for that, um, and uh, thank you for your time, Mark, uh, for for giving us a chat. We've got a couple of other interviews uh, where people can find out more about the book, which is aiming high by uh, the uh, the life of ski and travel pioneer Erlo by by Mark Frary. Thanks for your time, Mark. No problem. Good to speak. So, Ian, you said there that um, you were surprised about how much you're enjoying it. I'm, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. I mean, I think it's probably because we've read some absolute dross. <laughs> um, that it's the case. But, yeah, it's surprisingly interesting, factual, um, a great insight, not just into Erna Lowe, but into the history of skiing. It's yeah, good. Good. I'm really glad you're enjoying it. Excellent. So, yeah. Um, listener, if you want to join in with the book club, you can... Um, do that so you can um, get the book on the internet i assume i haven't even looked at that can <laughs> yeah. you buy it in yeah um, you can definitely buy it you can get i noticed i told mark uh, that on ebay somewhere you can buy a copy signed by the author <laughs> which uh, you know presumably goes for a, a premium yeah i mean it'd be even better if it was signed by erna Lowe herself imagine that <laughs> right that would be impressive 
Yeah. So we'll discuss that in our next episode in, in number 52. We right? do. We, I mean, I've probably got a lot of time on my hands, to be honest now. Yeah, exactly. I could read all the books for the year. Yeah, same with our listeners. So get that one, uh, get that one now before uh, before they sell out. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, that's uh, the end of the show. Um, okay. You got anything to add, Ian? I'm not really sure what's. I don't know what's going to happen in the next two weeks. Anything? Well, all I can think is, uh, uh, you know, if everyone is in self isolation, then what better way of spending some time than uh, just sticking some headphones uh, in to escape from your family and listening to the back catalogue of the ski podcast? Yeah, I haven't done that. We just bought some clippers, and Fran's going to cut. It's already half cut my hair. You can see it's on the sides, but not the top. We thought we'd experiment. <laughs> I thought that was just a new hairstyle for you, Jim. Uh, well, it kind of is for now, isn't it? We'll see. Uh, see how long it lasts. Yeah. But listener, you know, wishing you all the best wherever you are uh, in the world. Uh, and hopefully another two weeks time when we get together, which will probably be when our uh, next podcast will come out. We'll have more positive things to say. That's it. We'll, certainly, we'll certainly have lots of good content. All right, then. Well, thanks. For, and, you know, we are thoughts with all our colleagues within the ski industry. This is a tough time to stick together. See you later. Yeah. Bye bye. All right. Bye.